0: First up, though, the Defense Department's Lab Day gives the military research labs an opportunity to show off the exciting new technologies they're working on. This year, the event comes as the Pentagon continues to prepare for near-peer competition with nations like China and Russia. Federal News Network Scott Massioni was on the ground at the Pentagon checking out some of the exhibits at this year's Lab Day, and he filed this report.
1: During the Cold War, the Pentagon's courtyard used to be called Ground Zero. That's because if there was a nuclear attack, everyone assumed the USSR would aim their warhead for the center of the Pentagon. Now in 2019, remnants of the Cold War are starting to crop up again as the Defense Department moves its focus toward great power competition. One of the most important aspects of that competition is using technology to stay ahead of the enemy, and DOD used this year's Lab Day to show off some of the newest innovations that it has. Under overcast skies, representatives from each of the military services, the fourth estate, and medical research labs all had technology on display. My first stop was with something that seemed innocuous at first, but it was anything but that. The display was a simple cloth helmet that fit over the head, but it had the potential to change the way you think. Tad Brunier, senior cognitive scientist for the Army Futures Command Combat Capabilities Development Command Soldier Center, told me about his project that manipulates the brain.
0: Neurostimulation holds promise for altering several aspects of soldier performance. Um, What we are looking at here specifically with this program is we're looking at altering situational awareness, lethality, and decision making. And the hope is that by administering neurostimulation to certain areas of the brain at certain times, we can enhance performance across any of those domains. This is actually transcranial electrical stimulation. Um, So the way that it works is that it can administer DC, direct current, AC, or random noise stimulation. What we're focusing on here primarily is DC stimulation. It's something called transcranial direct current stimulation. So it's TDCS. Usually you look it up on Google and you'll you'll find a lot of evidence about that uh, methodology. So basically what it involves is applying uh, an array of electrodes on the surface of the scalp to administer very low intensity electrical current to certain areas of the brain that are involved in sustaining task performance. Um, So in doing so, you can upregulate or downregulate neuronal activity in those areas of the brain and alter behavioral outcomes or the performance on specific tasks.
1: So I'm sure this sounds kind of scary to a lot of people, right? (laughs) Putting electricity on your brain. is there any pain or how, what does someone feel when they're they're doing this?
0: Yeah, so I will tell you that um, we've, run, we've been doing this for five or six years now and we've run over 700 participants through our studies and very few of them actually feel anything at all. Um, so we've had a lot of people come up to the booth today and ask to try it out and put it on their heads or put it even on their arms just to feel it and they don't feel anything. Um, it's actually a minority of people that actually feel something and when they do feel something, we're talking about a very mild, itching, tingling sensation a little bit like pins and needles um, sensation um, on the surface of your skin so it's pretty mild and not only that it's very transient so it typically goes away after about 30 seconds or so as as you habituate to the sensation
1: And, and what kind of results have you had when it comes to like you said problem solving and lethality or you know how are you upscaling like you said what
0: we found is very some very compelling results. So for instance, we can increase navigation efficiency when people are moving th- from waypoint to waypoint in environments, in complex urban environments for instance. We can increase their efficiency by stimulating certain areas of the brain that we know are involved in navigation and spatial cognition in general. We can alter flexible problem solving and creativity so we can make people generate more creative solutions to problems by stimulating certain areas of the brain that we know are involved in um, having a a real breadth of thinking, of associative thinking, so people are able to make broader connections between concepts when we do that type of stimulation. We also have some evidence pointing to the fact that we can make people memorize bolo lists better. So being able to memorize a list of faces and being able to later subsequently recognize that face out in the field, right, in operations. So when I encounter an individual in the field, I can look at their face and say, you look really familiar to me. I think that's because you're on the bolo list.
1: Not all projects were quite as far future-focused as a neurostimulator. Jessica Cumbie, a research information scientist at the Army Air Medical Research Laboratory, showed me a weird contraption she brought to lab day. The device was a tube emanating a bright light, which I was prompted to look into. Inside was an extremely difficult eye test.
2: This is an enhanced vision tester um, that has the capability to test high and low Glare condition, lighting conditions, glare conditions. uh, There's a battery of tests that this device can perform. Uh, One is a test of acuity. Uh, The other is contrast sensitivity. You can also test for glare discomfort and target detection.
1: What might this be uh, used for? So like, you know, when are service members experiencing glare and why do you want to get rid of it right Right, absolutely
2: so this is actually a device that we recently developed in-house so this is not out in the market yet um, but we do hope that it is used by service members being an air medical research laboratory we help with pilot performance and uh, injury prevention or reduction Um, and so a lot of times what we find is glare is something that pilots will deal with in a daylight condition Um, they might be flying into the sun or uh, potentially even driving into the sun if they operate a ground vehicle as well. And the cockpit displays, as we move towards the future vertical lift and the glass cockpit designs, they have a lot of potential to have also that need to detect contrast sensitivity in the pilot population. So in daylight, that screen might need to be brighter, and then at night, that screen might need to be more dim. So how well are the pilots gonna be able to detect those displays and things as they um, move forward into developing the future vertical lift aircraft?
1: My last stop was talking to Captain Chris Tamilla of the Air Force Research Lab Space Vehicles Directorate. His project was called Eagle, which stands for, well, I'll just let him explain.
3: So Eagle stands for the Evolved Expendable Launch Vehicle Secondary Payload Adapter Augmented Geosynchronous Laboratory Experiment. And what we are is it's a, we're a spacecraft experiment designed to in show um, the capability to increase access to space for DoD missions. And then on top of that we host a series of payloads
1: um, for space situational awareness and spacecraft resiliency. So is this like a, a cheaper faster way to get up into space or how, do, how does that exactly work?
3: yeah, that's exactly it um, the idea is to uh, prove out a concept for a cheaper faster way to space to get um, to get satellites to the orbits that they need to be exactly that as inexpensively
1: and uh, as fast as possible and and what makes it more inexpensive and, and what sort of materials are you using that kind of stuff uh, so the real piece that makes it less uh, less
3: expensive is that typically when we're launching s- When, say, um, we launched on an Atlas V last year, typically when we we have these big launch vehicles, there's a lot of excess volume and mass uh, in that payload fairing that just goes unused. Um, The idea is, with our spacecraft design, we can fit inside that extra space um, and it basically becomes a a multiplier. So we can fit inside that space, we can attach smaller satellites to us, um, and in doing so, we can, uh, we can get all of those smaller satellites into their orbits much easier and, uh, and much faster, and then host our own series of, sen- or with our own sensors and our own payloads, we can, uh, we can do experiments and everything as well. So it's really the uh, taking advantage of, of that space um, and it becomes a ride-share program. So what we like to call it is the freight train to space.
1: We can get ourselves and others into space as quickly as possible. So basically it's, it's just a, you fit a lot more in a smaller space is kind of what I'm getting at. That.
3: Yeah, that's that's really the, the idea is that you can fit a lot more capability into um, into the launch that you do have. Um, and being able to move other vehicles into the orbit that, that they need to be in is, is a huge piece of that. But, yeah, it's, it's all about... You know, it's, it's just like everything right now with rideshare. Uh, it's all about rideshare. Not everybody can afford their own launch vehicle. Not everybody can even afford their own spacecraft. And we can kind of do that for you.
1: At the Pentagon, Scott Massioni, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. And
0: you can find Scott's report at federalnewsnetwork.com.
1: Looking for holiday gifts for less? Come to Ross and say yeah to making your dollar stretch on name brand toys, clothes, and gifts. Get the gift of savings this holiday from Ross. Yes for less.